And it's a tremendous passage, this is, and I think it's very, very helpful for us, um, particularly in the prayer meeting, because Paul really is telling us his prayer. And I think we all, don't we, when we're honest, we all struggle to know what to pray for, to how to pray. The disciples were with Jesus, weren't they, for a long time, yet they still asked him, teach us how to pray. And um, I think no matter how long we've been a Christian, we, when we're honest, we all confess that we struggle with our prayer lives. What do we pray? And I think this is a just a really helpful passage for us to see, well, this is what Paul prays when he's praying for the church in Ephesus. This is what he prays, just to kind of bring up to speed. Really what um, Paul has been doing in the, the opening chapters in Ephesus is been telling them who they really are. He's been telling them their identity in Christ, reminding them of their blessings. Such an important thing, isn't it? Um, uh, in sport, uh, the Euros are starting this weekend or the next couple of days, I think. Mark and Sharon will know more. Uh, but I think Wales are playing this weekend. But one of the roles that I know a manager does is to boost confidence, to remind the players, this is how good you really are, to, to kind of get a, a better performance out of them. So they're not worried, uh, do I fit in? Is this? No, no, you are the best. One of the things that Warren Gatlin did when he first took over as Wales coach, and I'm sure he'll do it the same with the British Lions this summer, he took them away training, hard, hard training, and then he told them, you're the fittest team in the world. As one of the players said, we had no idea if that was true, how do you measure it? But because he kept telling us, we believed it, and we thought we were fitter than everyone else. Paul, as he writes to the Ephesians, reminds them how loved, how blessed they are in the law. It's so helpful for us, isn't it? Uh, when we are reminded of our position in Christ, that that power, uh, as we're reminded of at the end of chapter one, the power that raises Jesus from the dead is the same power that works in you and me. Uh, and that is so helpful for us uh, that we don't get sidetracked, we don't worry, does God really love us? We know from the word of God, we know from Ephesians, God has set his love upon us. And verse 14 reminds us, for this reason I need before the Father. So straight away, as we're looking at what Paul is praying, he's talking about for this reason. So you kind of got to go back uh, and look at, at what he, the reason is. And uh, beginning of chapter three, really, Paul is again telling us of God's salvation, which is going to go around the world, not limited to Israel, not limited to what bloodline you have. But the promises made to Abraham that uh, the seed of Abraham would bless all nations in the world is being fulfilled. And that Paul is a servant of that gospel and, uh, and that he doesn't want to be discouraged. Uh, he is suffering at the moment, but... You know, when he thinks the Ephesians, he knows God is at work. And so he prays for them. And straight away, really, we see here a challenge, don't we? Because, as I mentioned earlier, we all struggle what to pray. And, um, and really, Paul's motivation for prayer here is that he's thinking about these people that he loves. And that really should help us, shouldn't it? When we think of others that we pray for, 
I often think that if you've got a, a list, I think in non-conformist kind of circles, we we don't like writing things down. We don't like writing prayers down. But there's nothing wrong with making lists, is there? There's nothing wrong with being organised. And uh, Paul clearly is, whether he writes them down or not, he knows people by name as he prays for them. He thinks about them. And when he thinks about them, he can't help himself but pray about them, the people he loves, that he loves. And we know that, don't we? You know, do we pray? Probably, probably pray for our children, if we've got children more than anyone else, or husbands or wives, because they're people we love. There's nothing wrong with that. Danger is, of course, we forget about those who are perhaps on the fringes. So writing lists can be a good thing. But, but Paul here, he is praying. He's put down and he tells the Ephesians exactly what I'm praying. Before that, though, he reminds them that he kneels. The Jewish man who would have basically stood to pray is now in humility kneeling. It reminds us, doesn't it, that the one that we come to, the one that invites us to pray, the one that wants us to pray, is still God. And uh, it's, we see his Paul, the apostle, the great evangelist, the great preacher, the great teacher. Yet we see his humility as he kneels before God in prayer. And um, really what Paul is, is doing here as he starts off, and he, he, he really prays in kind of three uh, for three things, but he reminds us of the power of God. Uh, this reason I need before the Father, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, we see how rich God is, that his riches are glorious. He is powerful. Uh, he is not a God who is weak in any way, shape or form. He is the God who can do all things. And... Uh, Really, Paul is, is giving us now each request, these three requests that he gave, and he, he lines them up with the word that. So it kind of helps us really to divide um, the, the three main things that he's praying for. See in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that, verse 17. So we'll have a look at them um, as we go along. And uh, the first one is found in verse 16. And Paul really is praying for their wills to be changed. Um, some children, grandchildren, nephews, nieces, some people are naturally, aren't they, strong-willed. Uh, they can be good uh, to work with sometimes, perhaps. They can be definitely good people to employ. Uh, but sometimes strong-willed managers can be difficult to work for. But strong-willed people, uh, we all have wills, don't we? That kind of inner being um, that's in us, you know, that kind of that drive. Well, Paul says in verse 16, he's praying really for our wills. Out, that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. And he's talking about your, really, your inner being, your will, the thing that, that drives us, the thing that is a kind of our motivation, the things that 
our will is what makes us say the things that we say and do the things that we do. Strong-willed people, you know, when they go on a diet, stick uh, religiously, we might say, or rigorously to the diet. Why? Their wills are strong. Their wills are set. You see it really with Jesus, don't you? His will was set. His face, we read, was set towards Jerusalem when his time had come, when he knew he had to go to the cross. He set his face, we read. His will, really. He is being driven here. He has made a conscious decision. And Paul, as he's praying here for the Ephesians, and of course as he prays for us, great things to pray. Paul wants God, that's what he's praying for, he wants God to make your will, to make your inner being, your will, stronger. He is praying for strength. It's a bit like those kind of, though, you hear it sometimes in kind of gymnastics and things like that, the core strength. Uh, it's not your, not that probably any of us have got one, it's not your six-pack, it's not those muscles on the outside. It's the inner, the core strong muscles that make gymnasts be able to do those tumble tosses and everything else that they do. It's that inner strength that you kind of can't see. Paul isn't praying for our physical core, but he's kind of praying for the, our core, the core within us, who we really are, to make us strong. Now, how does God do this? How does he strengthen our wills so that we do the things that God wants us to do and that we don't do the things that God doesn't want us to do, that we live for Christ, that we walk worthy, as he puts it uh, elsewhere. How does he do it? Well, he wants to strengthen our wills. How does he do it? Through his spirit in your inner being. The work of the Holy Spirit to make you strong. That's what he's praying for. He's praying for a movement of the Spirit in people. I think so often we pray for the work of the Spirit. I think often we limit the work of the Spirit. And often when we do pray for the work of the Spirit, which is a great thing to pray, we pray for revival, and that's great. But Paul here is praying for really them as individuals and as a church corporately together, that God by his Spirit would work in them changing them, making them more Christ-like, so that as our wills are changed, we are more disciplined in our walking with Christ. We are more faithful to him, why? Because the Spirit is working in us, changing us, saying no when temptation comes or that peer pressure comes upon us, and saying yes to following Jesus in a closer, uh, more consistent godly way and so we need our wills to be changed don't we our inner being as uh, the niv puts it and we need you know the, the spirit of god to do that you know we can we can change our kind of outward appearance can't we we can change the decisions we make we can you know we can we can try to you know go on diets and things like that and say right i'm not going to sin in that way or you know, I'm going to pray three times at certain times or whatever it is. I'm going to read more chapters of the Bible, whatever it is. But is that our will that is doing that? Or is that just kind of an outward decision that we make that comes too easy? Our inner being 
is something that God changes. And we need the power of the Spirit, Paul praying here, to change us and to change our wills. And that's a great thing for us to pray for each other, for ourselves, for our loved ones, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for us as a church, that God would change us on the inside. And Paul says something similar then, which is the second thing in verse 17, because here we have really a prayer for our hearts, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Um, we sometimes talk, don't we, of people having, you know, somebody we meet or something, and say, well, oh, they've got a good heart. And we kind of know what, what we mean by that. Often, actually, what we mean is, oh, they've got a good heart. In other words, you know, they may say and do stupid things, but their heart's in the right place, we say. You know? We give them the benefit of the doubt. It's not really what Paul is talking about here and what he's driving at. He's praying here that really the Christian should have the best heart there is because Christ is living there. Christ by his spirit is there, the spirit of Christ. Uh, John chapter 14 is particularly helpful um, about the heart and um, uh, about, um, you know, Christ dwelling in us. Uh, John 14 uh, verse 23, any, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Again, the will. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. It's right, a reminder, isn't it, that the Spirit is going to come. The Spirit's going to dwell within us. We are you know, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within. He lives within us, changing our, our hearts, not it's quite the same as our will, but more now of our affections, so that we will love Christ. You know, in the commandments that Jesus gives us, the Ten Commandments, but you know, following the teachings of Jesus, living in the way that He wants us to live, living in the light of the epistles, and you know, living as as Christ wants us to. And there's a link between that and our love for him. Why would we follow Jesus if we didn't love him? But we need our hearts to be warmed towards him. We need the spirit of God and we need God to warm our hearts, to move our hearts, to move our affections. Not just our wills, but our hearts as well. So we make the right decision, but we do it out of a heart that is full of love for Jesus Christ. And we know, don't we, that, you know, we only love him and we can only love him because he first loved us. Uh, in that uh, passage a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, why does God love us? Who uh, was writing about it. Why does God love, love us? Well, he loves us because he loves us. It's not because of anything that we have done, but he has set his heart on us. And because of that, our response is to be where well, we are to love him. And so we are going to be people who are more likely to keep his commandments and to be faithful followers of Christ. For someone like you, I'm, I'm hoping we hold a restart our youth meeting, especially actually in our garden on Friday, it's easier. And uh, I've kind of set up a WhatsApp group for the parents, and uh, the mothers have come straight back. 
And I've said, you know, we live a bit far out for some of you. Is it okay? Oh, it's no problem at all. Like, well, they love their children. They want their sons and daughters to, to come under the sound of the gospel. And travelling for 20 minutes is no problem at all because they love them. Paul is praying here that our hearts, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And there's a prayer now as well, thirdly, for our minds as well. Our will has been changed, our hearts having Christ dwelling in them by faith, grabbing hold of that great truth that Christ is in us. And then praying for our minds as well. Uh, pray, uh, second half of verse 17, pray that you being rooted, established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So he wants you to be rooted. I pray that you're being rooted uh, and established in love. It's that time of year, isn't it, when the sun is now, apart from today, the sun has been shining. Uh, that big house is there the tomato plants have suddenly started going uh, growing going up and the roots of course that you can't see are going down aren't they those strong roots grabbing all the nutrients grabbing all the water that they need and everything else and Paul wants us to be rooted and established um, you can see behind the head there's a big apple tree and another tree which I have no idea what it is um, but those trees have been there for years, years before we moved into the house. They are strong. The wind has blown. They don't move. Why? Because they are rooted. They are well established. And so when difficulty comes, they don't get moved. Paul is praying that he will be rooted and established in love so that when suffering comes, which has just come to him, that's why he's praying for that. When suffering comes to the Ephesians and when suffering comes to us, we've got strong, rooted, well-established love in Jesus Christ so that we're not blown like, you know, those tiny little saplings that just get uprooted and blown all over the place. Or in the past week, uh, I seem to see them everywhere, you know, those little kind of dandelion ball things blowing through the air. They're not rooted or established in any way. As soon as the wind comes, they blow. As soon as difficulty comes, Christians can fall. Paul's prayer is that they are rooted and established in love. And of course, it's the love of Christ. The love that he has for us is through our mind, reminding ourselves Jesus Christ loves us. And that love is one John Three reminds us is a love that is lavished upon us. It's not stingy in any way, but lavished. He has that for us because we are the children of the living God. Why? That is what you are. Again, John says the same thing. Tells them this is what you are. In the light of that, remember you are loved. And uh, this knowledge, of course, it is God working on our mind. Uh, together with all the Lord's people, to grasp. So in other words, we're, we're thinking about, we're using our minds to think and to, to remember, to meditate 
upon the love of Christ. It's so wide, so long, it's so high, it's so deep. You cannot measure it. In fact, it surpasses our knowledge. It's too great for us to comprehend. But that doesn't mean that we don't try. Paul wants us and wants our minds to be transformed. He wants us almost to be like that kind of astronaut exploring outer space. You know that the astronaut will never experience all of outer space. It's impossible. But the astronaut experiences as much as he can or she can. It's an incredible thing to explore. The love of Christ for you is greater and bigger, isn't it, than outer space. And we'll never comprehend all of it. It's beyond our knowledge. But we've got to explore it. It's a wonderful thing to explore and to think about and to comprehend and to experience and to enjoy. Grasping hold of the love of Christ. On a Monday morning when you're tired and the boss says the wrong thing to you. Or on a Friday afternoon when you're stuck in that traffic jam or whatever it is that's gone wrong. It's grabbing hold and reminding yourself how much Jesus Christ loves you. You can't grab hold of it, but we can explore. And of the force of God, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You can't be filled with all the fullness of the measure of God, can you? But that's what we're driving for. That's what Paul is praying for, that you may be filled more and more and more. At the end of chapter one in Ephesians, um, Paul is reminding us of uh, Christ being really the authority that he has. And in verse 22, um, Paul writes, God placed all things under Jesus' feet, appointed, to, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's remind us where those verses are linked, aren't they? That we may be filled with the fullness of Christ. He fills everything. He is worthy of all praise, all glory, because of who he is. And Paul wants our minds to be transformed in that way. So he's praying for our wills, he's praying for our hearts, he's praying for our minds, our inner being, all of us. Really. And then we're reminded of verse 28, uh, verse 20 rather, uh, and 21, which is a, quite a well-known doxology. You know, preachers often use it at the end of the service. But it's a reminder, isn't it, that as Paul prays here, and he's praying for kind of big, in some ways, unseen things, with our wills, our, our hearts, and our minds. But we're reminded here not to give up because God is able to do not just a bit more than we ask, but you can't even measure how much more God can do than you can even imagine. You can't ask more. You can't. There's no limit on these things. It's immeasurably more than you can imagine. Some of us have got better and greater imaginations than others. Imagine what God can do in you and change you to be that person for Christ that you just perhaps long to be and are just not. 
Paul says, well, God's power isn't limited. Paul can change, uh, God can change you. He can make you the person that he wants you to be. Of course he can. Because he can do far, far more than anything you can imagine. And according to his power, that is at work. It is. God is at work in you. He is working. It is his power. And it's all for his glory. And, uh, and Paul's prayer, I think, is so helpful for us as we pray for each other and as we pray privately in our own uh, prayer lives, as we struggle to know what to pray. Praying for people's wills, praying for people's minds and hearts, and praying for ourselves in that way, that the Spirit of God would change us and make us more like Jesus. But we need to remind ourselves as we do that, that God is able to change us. He is. And he can change you. In fact, if you think, I long to be a Christian that's that type, that standard, God is the one who is able to raise the bar more than you can imagine and make you a person that you could never have dreamt that you could be for him because it is his power that at work changing you. In Philippians, as Paul reminds them there that you know, the work that he has started he will complete and uh, under that great day. And, you know, that, that is the same spirit. The spirit who has started a work in you will complete it. And he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And he does that because he loves us and he's given his son for us. And he's given his spirit for us as well to live within us. So let's be encouraged and uh, in your prayer lives, when we struggle to know what to pray, use this prayer and at least you've got three things to pray for yourself and to pray for others too.